Good morning. Good morning. Welcome this beautiful, sunny summer Sunday to Queen Anne Lutheran Church. We are in, or rather at, the ninth Sunday of Pentecost. Whether you are a long-term member, a first-time visitor, or somewhere in between, we are glad to see each of you here. A few things to share with you, as always, before we begin. First, as a gift to yourself and your neighbor, we invite you at this time, please, to silence your phones. Next, we continue to follow COVID precautions, which means we invite you, if you're receiving communion at the railing, to use sanitizer. We also have masks out on the table in the narthex if you are interested. Let us now take a moment to prepare ourselves for worship. Last week, we talked about suffering and evil, how God is not the source of these things, but in Christ, the one who joins us in them. Today, we're going to return to the topic of evil, how to recognize it, and what we as a faith community can do about it. Our gathering hymn is number 790 in the red hymnal, day by day. Please rise as you are able.
typically begin with the apostolic greeting found on page two of your bulletin. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Lord be with you. you. Let us pray. Self-humbling God, through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of your Son, you bring to us your kingdom of justice and mercy. By your Spirit, give us the ability to go and do likewise through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated.
Because Solomon did not ask for long life, riches, or the defeat of his enemies, God gave him what he asked for, wisdom to govern the people well. A reading from the first book of Kings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. Word of God, word of life. These words celebrate the depth of God's actions for us. Through Christ's death for us and the activity of the Spirit praying for us, we are fused to God's love poured out in Jesus Christ. Nothing, not even death itself, is able to separate us from such incredible divine love. A reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. 
we are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Word of God, word of life. Please rise as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had bought, he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God the Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. I have to confess that this passage from the Gospel of Matthew is one of my least favorite in the entire New Testament. I also find it somewhat problematic to read about a king who separates good from evil when we know that there are many kings in history who have been more, it would seem, on the side of evil. 
Evil, nevertheless, is the common theme of our readings. Therefore, it is the subject of my sermon. Is evil real? Do you believe in the reality of evil or in its personification, the devil? Do you find such language helpful insofar as it points to a reality in our world that cannot be described in any other way? Or do you find such language as a person living in the 21st century, the kind that makes you wince when we ask a candidate, for example, in baptism to renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? If your answer to my question is yes, I do believe in the reality of evil, even if the language we use to describe it feels antiquated, then you may be surprised to find yourself in the company not only of evangelicals and biblical fundamentalists, but also contemporary moral, political, and legal philosophers. That's right. While respectable modern scholars, if you will, typically do not believe in exorcisms or evil spirits, they have, since the middle of the 20th century, the bloodiest century in recorded history, recognized the need for a special language to describe the Holocaust, things like terrorist attacks, or more recently in American culture, mass shootings. Atrocities, the depravity of which words like bad or wrong obviously cannot capture or adequately describe. So what is evil? How do we recognize it? And what can we do as individuals as well as a congregation to prevent it? Historically, theologians divide evil into two categories, natural evil and moral evil. Natural evil refers to suffering or death unrelated to the actions or negligence of human beings. Natural evil, for example, would include earthquakes, congenital birth defects, or country music. Moral evil, on the other hand, refers to willful, that is, the willful commission of an act that brings harm to another person. These examples are more obvious, murder, assault. Theologians pay attention to natural evil and moral evil because, of course, they create a major problem for faith. We all know the question, don't we? How can you believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God when there is so much suffering and death in the world? How can you believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God when, for example, 26 to 28,000 children a day die of malnutrition across this world? That is a question that haunts us. 
Now, I find the distinction here between natural evil and moral evil clarifying, but it has its problems. Why should we assume, for example, that God is all-powerful? Our God, by contrast, is a God who reveals himself in weakness, in suffering, and in shame, the sharpest expression of which is the cross. So why should we even grant the critic the assumption or premise that God is all-powerful when God has revealed God's self to be the one who suffers and is pushed, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, to the margins of the world on a cross? And why, moreover, should we reduce evil to the immoral actions of individuals, murderers, etc., when evil in the Bible clearly has a social dimension to it? A social dimension to it. Sure, evil spirits possess individuals in the gospel stories, and sure, Jesus talks about separating evil individuals from the righteous in our gospel reading for today. But when the apostle Paul discusses evil or sin in his letters, he refers to it as a power or active force that invades not simply individuals, but communities, a power or active force that overtakes the collective by disrupting harmony and turning the members of these communities against each other. Likewise, when King Solomon asks God for wisdom and discernment in our first reading, and the word discernment simply means to separate out the good from the bad, he implicitly recognizes evil as a power that can disrupt the unity of his people, the chosen ones of Israel. So, if evil refers not only to immoral actions on the part of individuals, but also to something more like a cancer that grows throughout the body and destroys the host, how can we as members or cells within this body, the body of Christ, the church, Queen Anne Lutheran Church, not only survive the onslaught of evil, but thrive in spite of it? The Bible, perhaps not surprisingly, I believe, can help. Evil, we discover, follows a clear trajectory according to scripture. First, it enters a community through the door of fear. Let me repeat that. It enters a community through the door of fear. When we feel worried, uncertain, or afraid, we become susceptible to speculation about other individuals in our community, which often leads to rumors, gossip, and suspicion. Consider QAnon. It began by drawing on the fear of white people who worry they will lose their place and privilege in American society. Rumors concerning their replacement began circulating, not least of which thanks to the likes of Tucker Carlson then on Fox News. Having entered the American community through the door of fear, 
evil spread by way subsequently of misinformation. So after fear comes misinformation. Conspiracy theories abounded, spreading like wildfire across our socio-political landscape. These theories in turn produced division, the culmination of which appeared in the form of an insurrection and attempted coup on January, 20, January 6, 2021. Evil, we discover, starts small. It lurks at the door, as Genesis 4 says. Once it enters through the door, however, it takes on a life of its own. So here's our question. Here's my question. Here should be your question. What can we do about it? How can we prevent evil from dividing not only the broader country in which we live, but us as a community of faith, as the body of Christ, as the people of God? Well, I believe there are three things we can do to prevent the entrance and spread of evil in a congregation like Queen Anne Lutheran Church. First, we can recognize and resist the temptation to pass along rumors, gossip, and suspicion when it comes to our life together as a community of faith. In the small catechism and our confirmand, one of whom is present, will remember this from confirmation, Martin Luther writes, we are to fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbors, betray or slander them, or destroy their reputations. Instead, we are to come to their defense, speak well of them, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. Now, of course, this is an example of uh, practice what you preach, Martin Luther. He wasn't always kind to his enemies. But at our best, we should come to the defense of our neighbor when we hear rumors or gossip. We should speak well of them, Luther says, and interpret everything they do in the best possible light. We should, in other words, be charitable toward one another and, and assume the best of intentions. Next, after confronting suspicion and rumor bred by fear, we can confront misinformation with Christian truth. The Reverend Doit Kahn of Epiphany Episcopal Church here in Seattle explains what I mean. Because informational truth is increasingly untrustworthy via the internet, he writes, we must subjugate it to a higher truth, human truth, person-to-person -person truth. Truth, in short, is relational. If you hear, for example, that Pastor Dan plans soon to leave the congregation. Or if someone tells you that Pastor Dan really wants to go back to teaching full time. I invite you to come to me, person to person, and ask me if these things are true. Do you know what I will say? I do because I've already been saying it to people who have been emailing me and asking me these questions. And anybody who knows me knows that I would never go back full time to the absolute hell of grading papers. <laughs> so do you know what I will say to these rumors? Absolutely not. 
My commitment to you as a congregation is stronger than ever before. You are my family of faith. You are my highest priority. For better or worse, you are stuck with me. Now, the third way to prevent evil from creating conflict in a faith community is by loving one another as God in Christ first loved us. As 1 John 4 says, and this is one of my favorite verses in the entire scripture, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Let me repeat that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Or again, as Paul says in our second reading, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. The love we know from God in Christ, in short, is the answer and antidote to fear. Yes, there are different ways of talking about evil, moral evil, natural evil, each with its own merits and deficiencies. Few, however, can match what we learn from the Apostle Paul. When we greet one another, therefore, let us assume the best of our neighbor and our pastor. Let us lead with kindness and compassion rather than rumors and misinformation. And let all our actions in relation to one another in this body of Christ be informed by love. And all God's people said,
Let us now confess the words of our faith as written in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. For the prayers of the church, we invite you to be seated or kneel, whichever you prefer. Hopeful that God receives our joys and concerns, let us offer our prayers for the church, those in need, and all of creation. Everlasting God, we pray for the church and all who proclaim the gospel. Equip the church and its ministers to declare that nothing, not even death, can separate us from your love in Christ. Help confirmands keep the faith and form them into disciples. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, we pray for the well-being of the earth. Inspire us as stewards of your creation to go green by caring for the environment. Help us preserve the mighty tree and the tiny mustard seed and send advocates for sustainable practices. Lord, in your mercy. Compassionate God, we pray for the nations. Instill in all who govern the ability to distinguish between good and evil. Free those who are oppressed and protect those facing danger. Promote peace across the world and in our towns and neighborhoods. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful God, we pray for all in any need. Protect those fleeing from war, shelter the unhoused, soothe all who grieve, and empower us to be ministers of healing. Lord, in your mercy. Holy God, we pray for this congregation, both those gathered today and those absent from our assembly. Let unity overcome division and perfect love cast out fear. Grant safety to travelers and to children attending summer camps. Give direction to any experiencing life transitions. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray for this day? Hear our prayer. Holy God, I pray for each and every person gathered here today that you be with them in their joys as well as their struggles and challenges. We pray especially for Bill and Janet Bush, for Bill Cavanaugh, for Peggy's colleague Kirsten, for Dotsie, for the family of Dan, for Matt's mother Jeannie, for Shirley's friend Judy, for Jackie, Chris, for the father of Athena, for Kara's friend Lena and Ivor, for the Ritchie family, 
for Richard, for Lisa's mother Eunice, for Matthew, for John's friend, for Pat, Pat's sister Donna, Pat's niece Kathleen, Finley, Kirsty, Avatosh, Mulugeta. We pray for Jan in memory of Linda, for Jean, Richard, Barb, Denny, Hildy, Mary, Carol, and Lisa. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Eternal God, we give thanks for your saints who now rest from their labors. Inspire us by their example, forming us into people who live for others in response to your abundant grace. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O God, we commend all for whom we pray in the name of the one who reconciled all creation to himself, Jesus Christ, our healer, saver, teacher, and Lord. Amen. Amen. Please rise now as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Let us share a sign of that peace with one another. Please rise now as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right 
It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body given for you, do this for the remembrance of me. Again after supper he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin, do this for the remembrance of me. As we prepare our hearts for this holy meal, let us pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Give us our sins. In this place of grace, all are welcome to the table of grace. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the Eucharist, simply forward, come forward, fold your arms, and I will do so accordingly. If you wish to receive from the pew, I will direct you momentarily. The Lutheran tradition teaches that while Christ fills all things after his resurrection, he comes to us in a special way here through the word uh, and sacrament. Come and taste the joy of God. You may be seated. For those receiving in the pew, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you.
death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor trials in the present, nor any trial to come, neither height, nor death, nor all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God poured out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dwell in the one who raised Christ from the dead. Though your body shall die, in Christ you shall rise through the Spirit who brings you to life. Neither death by the Spirit shall live as children of God and heirs with Christ Jesus, God's adopted and chosen and loved. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor trials in the present, nor any trial to come, neither high nor death, nor all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God poured out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril or sword? Neither death Please rise as you are able. Gracious God, in you we live, move, and have our being. With your word and this meal of grace, you have nourished our life together and renewed us for life in the world. Strengthen us to show your love and serve others in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated for announcements. Wow, can you feel the spirit present among us today? We should do this again sometime. <laughs> it's wonderful to see each of you here. I would uh, like, before I begin with several announcements I have, to invite forward our cantor, Kyle. Good morning. 
Uh, this August, which is upon us, on Wednesday evenings, the four first Wednesdays of August, uh, we'll have a service of Holden Evening Prayer. We're going to gather in the back of the nave, set up the chairs kind of back there and form kind of a circle. Uh, it's about a 20-minute service, roughly speaking, and uh, as many of you are familiar with it, it's an adaptation of the ancient Vespers service uh, and was composed at Holden Village, hence the name Holden Evening Prayer, and I always remind people I'm no relation to Marty Haugen. Uh, although we did both uh, play piano for a chapel service uh, when I was in graduate school. Uh, so hope you can join us. Uh, the 9th, uh, so a week from this coming Wednesday, uh, brings the return of Jazz on the Grass. Uh, I, am, I am told that uh, by the uh, adult coordinator that it will come together and he will have a list of names for me very shortly of the students from Garfield High School who are going to play uh, on the ninth from 5.30 to 6.30. We'll have some rip beer floats uh, and then take a brief uh, break and gather for Holden evening prayer on the ninth. Uh, again, 7 o'clock for Holden uh, 2nd, 9th, 16th, and 23rd of August. So four Wednesdays, Holden evening prayer, 7 p.m. here. Uh, you'll see the announcement in your bulletin. Uh, but on the 9th, one week only, it is preceded by Jazz on the Grass. Thank you. Before I say anything further, I wanted to offer a brief word of welcome as well as gratitude. First of all, welcome to my first confirmation students here at Queen Anne Lutheran, Francesca and Matteo. Uh, son and daughter of Amy, uh, grandchildren of Harold and Georgianne. It is great to see you with us again. Also great to see one of our other confirmands with us today, Jimmy. Uh, wonderful to have you here. Thank you to, uh, to Tim, to uh, our counters, to our ushers, to everyone else involved in putting on our, the service this morning, to our altar guild. We are so grateful because of you we can do what we do. A few uh, announcements then that I did want to highlight. First, have you seen the chapel? It is being renovated. Uh, new carpeting has been installed, and uh, today after lunch, we need your help to move items, both large and small, back into place. So please stay if you are able to lend a hand. My hope uh, is that eventually we'll see candles line uh, the, uh, uh, the chapel walls uh, for the sake of truly contemplative worship services. Sewing and service quilters are back. Uh, they will be meeting again every Wednesday morning at 9.30 a.m. Uh, to create quilts for Lutheran World Relief. Coffee break is at 11.30. I'm typically there for the weekly roast of the pastor. I invite you to join us if you wish. Rich, you have an announcement. The main reason I'm up here is just to remind all of you who help buying supplies for <clears throat> the LWR kits that school supplies are finally on sale at many of the stores in town. Um, there's a very long article in the Quill, which I really think you should read. It tells you why we don't want some of the school supplies that some of these stores sell. Some of them are not really useful, and you're not going to realize that. Uh, things like plastic rulers that are so dark you can't see the tick marks. It, it, the, the list is in here. But partially why I'm up here today also is because 
It's always hard for me to keep this list current of what store has things on sale for what price. And just the two things that happened this week, Walmart does have two hole pencil sharpeners for 49 cents. They're one of the few big box stores that has the two hole pencil sharpener. The second hole is for crayons. And so we really need those as opposed to the one hole. The other reason I want to be up here, which was strange to me, metal rulers are really far superior to wood rulers. And we never pushed them before because the price differential was enough that it didn't, a lot of people didn't want to spend the more money. But these are a dollar. The regular wood rulers can be 80 cents right now. So it's kind of like, why buy a wood ruler? This is far better. But you still have to be careful. The one in my right hand is the one from Fred Meyer. It's nice because a little bit flexible. It's all round. It's not sharp. Here's a slightly different one. $2 on the internet somebody bought. And the edges are sharp. And we don't want that for kindergartners, first graders, whatever. So I will push Fred Meyer on this one. They did good. Um, so that's great. So, and then if you bring things into church, there's a drawer outside in the narthex. It's labeled LWR. You can put stuff in there if I'm not around or nobody's around. Um, and the only other thing I would like to highlight is on our putting stuff back in the chapel today. Let's try and start at about 15 or 20 minutes after the service ends, just so you can socialize and get out. Thank you. Rich, if you could save one of those dual pencil uh, crayon sharpeners for me, I could really use it when I write my sermons. So, you got one? <laughs> okay. Uh, just a few last things. Uh, you can sign up to help for Jazz on the Grass in the Narthex. We also have sign-ups for those who would like to attend the Taste of Queen Anne, starting again for the first time since the pandemic. You can sign up for that in, a narth in the Narthex. An anonymous donor has made it possible for us, I believe, to have eight seats at that event. Uh, two things finally. My discretionary fund, which I use to keep people off the street, which I use to, to house people who are potentially uh, going to be evicted from their apartments, etc., has run dangerously low. There is a lot of need out there. And whenever I meet and talk with somebody and provide them with financial assistance, I always do so on behalf of the congregation, and I remind them just to remember that the Lutherans are the nicest Christians out there. So, so if you feel so inspired, please give to that fund. Uh, it makes a big, concrete difference in the lives of people who are struggling. Finally, uh, after the Holden service on August 9th, I've been told we can arrive a little late. It starts at 7 p.m. Dust in the Blood, A Theology of Life with Depression will be held at uh, The Well, which is the United Methodist Church here on top of the hill. If you are curious about that, I plan to attend, so please speak with me or contact the office and we can give you further information. Yes, Mark. Yes. A little impromptu, but uh, I thought it would be important to get this ball rolling. A few months ago in this very sanctuary, we all approved the concept design for what we call the Triangle Project out front. In order to pull that off, we need to uh, have an appeal campaign to raise the funds. And 
that campaign needs a leader. No experience required. Um, so if you are so inclined or if you think of somebody who would be really good at this, please let me know or speak to Pastor. Um, we hope to kick that off in the early fall. Thanks. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Candy. Okay. Okay, so book club is at 6, not 5.30. At your house. Outside. Okay, bring a jacket if necessary. It might be cool. Okay, very good. Thank you, Candy. Any others? Then please rise as you are able for the blessing. You leave the sanctuary healed and reconciled only to re-enter a world of division and strife. Bring with you that healing to the world and receive the blessing accordingly. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Amen. Our sending hymn is In Thee is Gladness, number 867 in the Red Hymn. 